Section 16 of The Rover. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Cairns, Naperville, Illinois. The Rover by Joseph Conrad. Chapter 15, Part 2. Above, at the farm, Catherine had heard, too, the ominous mutter and came to the door of the sow. From there, she could see the purple cloud itself, convoluted and solid, and its sinister shadow lying over the hills. The oncoming of the storm added to her sense of uneasiness at finding herself all alone in the house. Michelle had not come up. She would have welcomed Michelle, to whom she hardly ever spoke, simply as a person belonging to the usual order of things. She was not talkative, but somehow she would have liked somebody to speak to just for a moment. This cessation of all sound, voices, or footsteps around the buildings was not welcome, but looking at the cloud, she thought that there would be noise enough presently. However, Stepping back into the kitchen, she was met by a sound that made her regret the oppressive silence. By its piercing and terrifying character, it was a shriek in the upper part of the house where, as far as she knew, there was only Arlette asleep. In her attempt to cross the kitchen to the foot of the stairs, the weight of her accumulated years fell upon the old woman. She felt suddenly very feeble and hardly able to breathe, and all at once the thought, Sivola, was he murdering her up there? Paralyzed the last remnant of her physical powers. What else could it be? She fell, as if shot, into a chair under the first shock and found herself unable to move. Only her brain remained active, and she raised her hands to her eyes as if to shut out the image of the horrors upstairs. She heard nothing more from above. Arlette was dead. She thought that now it was her turn. While her body quailed before the brutal violence, her wary spirit longed ardently for the end. Let him come. Let all this be over at last. With a blow on the head or a stab in the breast, she had not the courage to uncover her eyes. She waited, but after about a minute, it seemed to her interminable, she heard rapid footsteps overhead. Arlette was running here and there. Catherine uncovered her eyes and was about to rise when she heard at the top of the stairs the name of Perrault shouted with a desperate accent. Then again, after the shortest of pauses, the cry of Perrault, Perrault, and then the sound of feet running downstairs. There was another shriek, Perrault, just outside the door before it flew open. Who was pursuing her? Catherine managed to stand up, steadying herself with one hand on the table. She presented an undaunted front to her niece, who ran into the kitchen with loose-flying hair and the appearance of wildest distraction in her eyes. The staircase door had slammed, too, behind her. Nobody was pursuing her, and Catherine, putting forth her lean brown arm, arrested Arlette's flight. With such a jerk that the two women swung against each other, she seized her niece by the shoulders. "'What is this, in heaven's name? Where are you rushing to?' she cried. And the other, as if suddenly exhausted, whispered, "'I woke up from an awful dream.' The kitchen grew dark under the cloud that hung over the house now. There was a feeble flicker of lightning and a faint crash far away. The old woman gave her niece a little shake. 
dreams are nothing she said you are awake now and indeed catherine thought that no dream could be so bad as the realities which kept hold of one through the long waking hours they were killing him moaned arlette beginning to tremble and struggle in her aunt's arms i tell you they were killing him be quiet were you dreaming of parole she became still in a moment and then whispered no eugene she had seen Raoul set upon by a mob of men and women all dripping with blood in a livid cold light in front of a stretch of mere shells of houses with cracked walls and broken windows and going down in the midst of a forest of raised arms brandishing sabers clubs knives axes there was also a man flourishing a red rag on a stick while another was beating a drum which boomed above the sickening sound of broken glass falling like rain on the pavement and away round the corner of an empty street came perol whom she recognized by his white head walking without haste swinging his cudgel regularly the terrible thing was that perol looked straight at her not noticing anything composed without a frown or a smile unseeing and deaf while she waved her arms and shrieked desperately to him for help she woke up with the piercing sound of his name in her ears and with the impression of the dream so powerful that even now looking distractedly into her aunt's face she could see the bare arms of that murderous crowd raised above Raoul's sinking head yet the name that had sprung to her lips on waking was the name of parole she pushed her aunt away with such force that the old woman staggered backwards and to save herself had to catch hold of the overmantel above her head arlette ran to the door of the sow looked in came back to her aunt and shouted where is he catherine really did not know which path the lieutenant had taken she understood very well that he meant Raoul. she said he went away a long time ago grasped her niece's arm and added with an effort to steady her voice he is coming back arlette for nothing will keep him away from you arlette as if mechanically was whispering to herself the magic name parole parole then cried i want eugene now this moment catherine's face wore a look of unflinching patience he has departed on service she said her niece looked at her with enormous eyes coal-black profound and immovable while in a forcible and distracted tone she said you and perrault have been plotting to rob me of my reason but i will know how to make that old man give him up he is mine she spun round wildly like a person looking for a way to escape from a deadly peril and rushed out blindly about a scampa bar the air was murky but calm and the silence was so profound that it was possible to hear the first heavy drops of rain striking the ground in the intimidating shadow of the storm cloud arlette stood irresolute for a moment but it was to parole the man of mystery and power that her thoughts turned she was ready to embrace his knees to entreat and to scold parole parole she cried twice and lent her ear as if expecting an answer then she shouted i want him back catherine alone in the kitchen moving with dignity sat down in the armchair with the tall back like a senator in his curule chair awaiting the blow of a barbarous fate arlette flew down the slope the first sign of her coming was a faint thin scream and really the rover alone had understood 
He pressed his lips in a particular way, showing his appreciation of the coming difficulty. The next moment, he poised on a detached boulder and thinly veiled by the first perpendicular shower, Arlette, who, catching sight of the tartan with the men on board of her, let out a prolonged shriek of mingled triumph and despair. Parole, help, parole! Rael jumped to his feet with an extremely scared face, but Parole extended an arresting arm. She is calling to me, he said, gazing at the figure poised on the rock. Well leaped, sacrinom, well leaped, and he muttered to himself soberly. She will break her legs or her neck. I see you, Parole, screamed Arlette, who seemed to be flying through the air. Don't you dare. Yes, here I am, shouted the rover, striking his breast with his fist. Lieutenant Rael put both his hands over his face. Michel looked on open-mouthed, very much as if watching a performance in a circus, but Sivola cast his eyes down. Arlette came on board with such an impetus that Parole had to step forward and save her from a fall which would have stunned her. She struggled in his arms with extreme violence. The heiress of a scampabar with her loose black hair seemed the incarnation of pale fury. Miserable! Don't you dare! A roll of thunder covered her voice, but when it had passed away, she was heard again in suppliant tones. Parole, my friend, my dear old friend, give him back to me, and all the time her body writhed in the arms of the old seaman. You used to love me, Parole, she cried, without ceasing to struggle, and suddenly struck the rover twice in the face with her clenched fist. Perrault's head received the two blows as if it had been made of marble, but he felt with fear her body become still, grow rigid in his arms. A heavy squall enveloped the group of people on board the tartan. Perrault laid Arlette gently on the deck. Her eyes were closed, her hands remained clenched. Every sign of life had left her white face. Perrault stood up and looked at the tall rock streaming with water. The rain swept over the tartan with an angry, swishing roar, to which was added the sound of water rushing violently down the folds and seams of the precipitous stone of the precipitous shore, vanishing gradually from his sight, as if this had been the beginning of a destroying and universal deluge, the end of all things. Lieutenant Rael, kneeling on one knee, contemplated the pale face of Arlette, distinct yet mingling with the faint growl of distant thunder. Perrault's voice was heard saying, We can't put her ashore and leave her lying in the rain. She must be taken up to the house. Arlette's soaked clothes clung to her limbs while the lieutenant, his bare head dripping with rainwater, looked as if he had just saved her from drowning. Perrault gazed down inscrutably at the woman stretched on the deck and at the kneeling man. She has fainted from rage at her old Perrault. He went on rather dreamily. Strange things do happen. However, Lieutenant, you had better take her under the arms and step ashore first. I will help you. Ready? Lift. The movements of the two men had to be careful, and their progress was slow on the lower, steep part of the slope. After going up more than two-thirds of the way, they rested their insensible burden on a flat stone. Rael continued to sustain the shoulders, but Perrault lowered the feet gently. Ha! he said. You will be able to carry her yourself the rest of the way and give her up to old Catherine. Get a firm footing and I will lift her and place her in your arms. You can walk the distance quite easily. There, hold her a little higher, or her feet will be catching on the stones. 
Arlette's hair was hanging far below the lieutenant's arm in an inert and heavy mass. The thunderstorm was passing away, leaving a cloudy sky, and Parole thought with a profound sigh, I am tired. She is light, said Rael. Parbleu, she is light. If she were dead, you would find her heavy enough. Allons, mon lieutenant. No, I am not coming. What's the good? I'll stay down here and have no mind to listen to Catherine's scolding. The lieutenant, looking absorbed into the face resting on the hollow of his arm, never averted his gaze, not even when Parole, stooping over Arlette, kissed the white forehead near the roots of the hair, black as a raven's wing. What am I to do? muttered Rael. Do? Why, give her up to old Catherine, and you may just as well tell her that I will be coming along directly. That will cheer her up. I used to count for something in that house. Allez! for our time is very short. With these words he turned away and walked slowly down to the tartan. A breeze had sprung up. He felt it on his wet neck and was grateful for the cool touch which recalled him to himself, to his old wandering self, which had known no softness and no hesitation in the face of any risk offered by life. As he stepped on board, the shower passed away. Michel, wet to the skin, was still in the very same attitude gazing up the slope citizen sivola had drawn his knees up and was holding his head in his hands whether because the rain was cold or for some other reason his teeth were chattering audibly with a continuous and distressing rattle Pirol flung off his jacket heavy with water with a strange air as if it was of no more use to his mortal envelope squared his broad shoulders and directed michel in a deep quiet voice to let go the lines holding the tartan to the shore the faithful henchman was taken aback and required one of Pirol's authoritative allay to put him in motion Meantime, the rover cast off the tiller and laid his hand, with an air of mastery, on the stout piece of wood projecting horizontally from the rudder head about the level of his hip. The voices and the movements of his companions caused Citizen Sivola to master the desperate trembling of his jaw. He wriggled a little in his bonds, and the question that had been on his lips for a good many hours was uttered again. What are you going to do with me? What do you think of a little promenade at sea? Parole asked in a tone that was not unkindly. Citizen Zivola, who had seemed totally and completely cast down and subdued, let out a most unexpected screech. Unbind me! Put me ashore! Michel, busy forward, was moved to smile as though he had possessed a cultivated sense of incongruity. Parole remained serious. You shall be untied presently he assured the blood-drinking patriot, who had been for so many years the reputed possessor not only of Escampabar, but of the Escampabar heiress that, living on appearances, he had almost come to believe in that ownership himself. No wonder he screeched at this rude awakening. Parole raised his voice. Haul on the line, Michel. As directly the ropes had been let go, the tartan had swung clear of the shore. The movement given her by Michel carried her towards the entrance by which the basin communicated with the cove. Perrault attended to the helm, and, in a moment, gliding through the narrow gap, the tartan, carrying her way, shot out almost into the middle of the cove. 
a little wind could be felt running light wrinkles over the water but outside the overshadowed sea was already speckled with white caps perrault helped michelle to haul aft the sheets and then went back to the tiller the pretty spick-and-span craft had been lying idle for so long began to glide into the wide world michel gazed at the shore as if lost in admiration citizen sivola's head had fallen on his knees while his nerveless hands clasped his legs loosely he was the very image of dejection eh michel come here and cast loose the citizen it is only fair that he should be untied for a little excursion at sea when his order had been executed perrault addressed himself to the desolate figure on the deck like this should the tartan get capsized in a squall you will have an equal chance with us to swim for your life sivola disdained to answer he was engaged in biting his knee with rage in a stealthy fashion you came on board for some murderous purpose who you were after unless it was myself god only knows i feel quite justified in giving you a little outing at sea i won't conceal from you citizen that it may not be without risk to life or limb but you have only yourself to thank for being here as the tartan drew clear of the cove she felt more the weight of the breeze and darted forward with a lively motion a vaguely contented smile lighted up michel's hairy countenance she feels the sea said perrault who enjoyed the swift movement of the vessel this is different from your lagoon michel to be sure said michel with becoming gravity doesn't it seem funny to you as you look back at the shore to think that you have left nothing and nobody behind michel assumed the aspect of a man confronted by an intellectual problem since he had become perrault's henchman he had lost the habit of thinking altogether directions and orders were easy things to apprehend but a conversation with him who he called not met was a serious matter demanding great and concentrated attention possibly he muttered looking strangely self-conscious well you are lucky take my word for it said the rover watching the course of his little vessel along the head of the peninsula you have not even a dog to miss you i have only you mitch perrault that's what i was thinking said perrault half to himself while michel who had good sea legs kept his balance to the movements of the craft without taking his eyes from the rover's face no perrault exclaimed suddenly after a moment of meditation i could not leave you behind he extended his open palm towards michel put your hand in there he said michel hesitated for a moment before this extraordinary proposal at last he did so and perrault holding the bereaved fisherman's hand in a powerful grip said if i had gone away by myself i would have left you marooned on this earth like a man thrown out to die on a desert island some dim perception of the solemnity of that occasion seemed to enter michel's primitive brain he connected perrault's words with the sense of his own insignificant position at the tail of all mankind and timidly he murmured with his clear innocent glance unclouded the fundamental axiom of his philosophy somebody must be last in this world well then you will have to forgive me all that may happen between this and the hour of sunset the tartan obeying the helm fell off before the wind with her head to the eastward perrault murmured she has not forgotten how to walk the seas his unsubdued heart heavy for so many days had a moment of buoyancy the illusion of immense freedom
at that moment Rael, amazed at finding no tartan in the basin was running madly towards the cove where he was sure perrault must be waiting to give her up to him he ran out onto the very rock on which perrault's late prisoner had sat after his escape too tired to care yet cheered by the hope of liberty but Rael was in a worse plight he could see no shadowy form through the thin veil of rain which pitted the sheltered piece of water framed in the rocks the little craft had been spirited away impossible there must be something wrong with his eyes again the barren hillsides echoed the name of perrault shouted with all the force of Rael's lungs he shouted it only once and about five minutes afterwards appeared at the kitchen door panting streaming with water as if he had fought his way up from the bottom of the sea in the tall-backed armchair arlette lay with her limbs relaxed her head on catherine's arm her face white as death he saw her open her black eyes enormous and as if not of this world he saw old catherine turn her head heard a cry of surprise and saw a sort of struggle beginning between the two women he screamed at them like a madman perrault has betrayed me and in an instant with a bang on the door he was gone the rain had ceased above his head the unbroken mass of clouds moved to the eastward and he moved in the same direction as if he too were driven by the wind up the hillside towards the lookout when he reached the spot and gasping flung one arm round the trunk of the leaning tree the only thing he was aware of during the sombre pause in the unrest of the elements was the distracting turmoil of his thoughts after a moment he perceived through the rain the english ship with her topsails lowered on the caps forging ahead slowly across the northern entrance of the petit pass his distress fastened insanely on the notion of there being a connection between that enemy ship and perrault's inexplicable conduct that old man had always meant to go himself and when a moment after looking to the southward he made out the shadow of the tartan coming round the land in the midst of another squall he muttered to himself a bitter of course she had both her sails set parole was indeed pressing her to the utmost in his shameful haste to traffic with the enemy the truth was that from the position in which Rael first saw him perrault could not yet see the english ship and held confidently on his course up the middle of the strait the man-of-war and the little tartan saw each other quite unexpectedly at a distance that was a very little over a mile perrault's heart flew into his mouth at finding himself so close to the enemy on board the amelia at first no notice was taken it was simply a tartan making for shelter on the north side of the porquerolles but when perrault suddenly altered his course the master of the man-o'-war noticing the manoeuvre took up the long glass for a look captain vincent was on deck and agreed with the master's remark that there was a craft acting suspiciously before the amelia could come round in the heavy squall perrault was already under the battery of porquerolles and so far safe from capture captain vincent had no mind to bring his ship within the reach of the battery and risk damage in his rigging or hull for the sake of a small coaster 
However, the tale brought on board by Simons of his discovery of a hidden craft, of his capture, and his wonderful escape, had made every tartan an object of interest to the whole ship's company. The Amelia remained hove-to in the strait while her officers watched the lanteen sails gliding to and fro under the protecting muzzles of the guns. Captain Vincent himself had been impressed by Perrault's maneuver, coasting craft as a rule were not afraid of the amelia after taking a few turns on the quarter-deck he ordered simons to be called aft the hero of a unique and mysterious adventure which had been the only subject of talk on board the corvette for the last twenty-four hours came along rolling hat in hand and enjoying a secret sense of his importance take the glass said the captain and have a look at that vessel under the land is she anything like the tartan that you say you have been aboard of simons was very positive i think i can swear to those painted mastheads your honor in the last thing i remember before that murderous ruffian knocked me senseless the moon shone on them i can make them out now with the glass as to the fellow boasting to him that the tartan was a dispatch boat and had already made some trips well simons begged his honor to believe that the beggar was not sober at the time he did not care what he blurted out the best proof of his condition was that he went away to fetch the soldiers and forgot to come back the murderous old ruffian you see your honor continued simons he thought i was not likely to escape after getting a blow that would have killed nine out of any ten men so he went away to boast of what he had done before the people ashore because one of his chums worse than himself came down thinking he would kill me with a damn big menorah fork saving your honor's presence a regular savage he was simons paused staring as if astonished at the marvels of his own tale the old master, standing at his captain's elbow, observed in a dispassionate tone that anyway, that peninsula was not a bad jumping-off place for a craft intending to slip through the blockade. Simons, not being dismissed, waited, hat in hand, while Captain Vincent directed the master to fill on the ship and stand a little nearer to the battery. It was done, and presently, there was a flash of a gun low down on the water's edge and a shot came skipping in the direction of the amelia it fell very short but captain vincent judged the ship was close enough and ordered her to be hove to again then simons was told to take a look through the glass once more after a long interval he lowered it and spoke impressively to his captain i can make out three heads aboard your honor and one is white i would swear to that white head anywhere captain vincent made no answer all this seemed very odd to him but after all it was possible the craft had certainly acted suspiciously he spoke to the first lieutenant in a half-vexed tone he has done a rather smart thing he will dodge here till dark and then get away it is perfectly absurd i don't want to send the boats too close to the battery and if i do he may simply sail away from them and be round the land long before we are ready to give him chase darkness will be his best friend however we will keep a watch on him in case he is tempted to give us the slip late in the afternoon in that case we will have a good try to catch him if he has anything aboard i should like to get hold of it it may be of some importance after all 
On board the tartan, Parole put his own interpretation on the ship's movements. His object had been attained. The corvette had marked him for her prey. Satisfied as to that, Parole watched his opportunity and taking advantage of a long squall with rain thick enough to blur the form of the English ship, he left the shelter of the battery to lead the Englishman a dance and keep up his character of a man anxious to avoid capture. Rael, from his position on the lookout, saw in the thinning downpour the pointed lanteen sails glide round the north end of Porquerolles and vanish behind the land. Some time afterwards, the Amelia made sail in a manner that put it beyond doubt that she meant to chase. Her lofty canvas was shut off too presently by the land of Porquerolles. When she had disappeared, Rael turned to Arlette. Let us go, he said. Arlette, stimulated by the short glimpse of Rael at the kitchen door, whom she had taken for a vision of a lost man calling her to follow him to the end of the world, had torn herself out of the old woman's thin, bony arms, which could not cope with the struggles of her body and the fierceness of her spirit. She had run straight to the lookout. Though there was nothing to guide her there except a blind impulse to seek Rael wherever he might be, he was not aware of her having found him until she seized hold of his arm with a suddenness energy and determination of which no one with a clouded mind could have been capable he felt himself being taken possession of in a way that tore all his scruples out of his breast holding on to the trunk of the tree he threw his other arm around her waist and when she confessed to him that she did not know why she had run up there but that if she had not found him she would have thrown herself over the cliff he tightened his clasp with sudden exultation as though she had been a gift prayed for instead of a stumbling block for his pedantic conscience together they walked back in the failing light the buildings awaited them lifeless the walls darkened by rain and the big slopes of the roofs glistening and sinister under the flying desolation of the clouds in the kitchen catherine heard their mingled footsteps and rigid in the tall armchair awaited their coming arlette threw her arms round the old woman's neck while rael stood on one side looking on thought after thought flew through his mind and vanished in the strong feeling of the irrevocable nature of the event handing him to the woman whom in the revulsion of his feelings he was inclined to think more sane than himself arlette with one arm over the old woman's shoulders kissed the wrinkled forehead under the white band of linen that on the erect head had the effect of a rustic diadem to-morrow you and i will have to walk down to the church the austere dignity of catherine's pose seemed to be shaken by this proposal to lead before the god with whom she had made her peace long ago that unhappy girl chosen to share in the guilt of impious and unspeakable horrors which had darkened her mind arlette still stooping over her aunt's face extended a hand towards Rael, who making a step forward took it silently into his grasp oh yes you will aunt insisted arlette you will have to come with me to pray for parole whom you and i shall never see any more catherine's head dropped whether in assent or grief and rael felt an unexpected and profound emotion for he too was convinced that none of the three persons in the farm would ever see parole again it was as though the rover of the wide seas had left them to themselves on a sudden impulse of scorn of magnanimity 
of a passion weary of itself. However come by, Rael was ready to clasp forever to his breast that woman touched by the red hand of the revolution, for she, whose little feet had run ankle-deep through the terrors of death, had brought to him the sense of triumphant life. End of section 16 Recording by John Cairns, Naperville, Illinois